Bishop Tom Daly from the Diocese of Spokane here in Eastern Washington. And this is the Bishop and the Vickers with our executive producer, Hillary Hammett. Today we have only two of the three Victors. Uh, Vickers. Um, Victors is good. The yes. victorious Vickers. Well, we're going to speak about Our Lady the Victory in a moment. Uh, Father Brian Mee, the pastor of St. Augustine's and Vicar for Finance, and Father Pat Kurst, the pastor of St. Thomas More and the Vicar for Priests. Away for three months is Father Connell, the Vicar General <laughs> and the Rector of the Mother Church of the Diocese, the uh, Cathedral. It was getting hard dragging him along, so it's good to get rid of the dead uh, weight. Yeah, yeah, it's been a glorious three months. Mm -hmm. <laughs> this is a little bit like Joseph in the Technic of a dream coat. But <laughs> He's down at the bottom of a well. <laughs> that will be another episode. This Saturday in uh, the Universal Church is the Feast of Our Lady of Rosary, and um, Maybe a little history, uh, since Father Me is the oldest of the vicars and uh, was present at the, when Our Lady of Victory, Notre Dame Victoire, <laughs> was placed on the liturgical calendar. Uh, Father Me, give us a little history of these Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary. Well, I'd be very happy to do that. Um, Our Lady of the Rosary comes from a very important battle, the Battle of Lepanto, which took place in 1571. And it was against the Ottoman Turks. And, you know, I think sometimes we forget, we think uh, um, there's been kind of an episodic Sadiq war with the Muslims since the 7th century. Uh, and at one time, they had almost, it looked like they were going to be taking over Western Europe. And certainly, at the time of the battle, 1571, it appeared uh, that Europe... Christian Europe was going to be lost. Now, of course, the Ottoman Turks were very wise because they looked around and they recognized, again, 1571, this was um, Western Europe was going through the whole Protestant Reformation or Protestant Revolt. So they saw a splintered Christianity in Europe. Um, Philip II, King of Spain, well, he was becoming more interested with their newfound lands in the New World and expeditions there. So strategically, it was um, a very worthwhile time for the Ottoman Turks to look uh, towards the West and see that the church and Christianity and Western civilization seemed to be splintered and at its, at its weakest. So, and plus there were just other internal struggles having gone through the Hundred Year War and all the rest of it, so that these things were being lost um, and so as they come to, or as they look to the West, well, the West wasn't really paying much attention to the Ottoman Turks, but Pius V, Pope Pius V, uh, certainly was very well aware. So he called that term that we've heard before, he called a crusade, but of course the age of the crusades had basically passed. Uh, so he had a very difficult time getting uh, allies to go with him. He got Venice, of course, because Venice was concerned about their their sea trade. Uh, he finally was able to get Spain as well to give some support. But Philip II again had other interests, but he suggested, well, listen, I'm too busy to be involved in all of this, but I have a half-brother who is Don Juan, Don Juan of Austria, because his half-brother was um, not uh, legitimate. So he took the name of the country that his mother came from, but he was also the son of Charles V, who had been Holy Roman Emperor. So anyway, Don Juan becomes the great hero or the great uh, leader commander 
at the Battle of Lepanto. Now, some would say he was a great um, hero, but I, I would say that his monkey was, but we'll get to that in a little bit here. Hmm. Um, besides... Oh, always comes back to the monkey. <laughs> and, and PETA. <laughs> besides Don Juan, on the other side, of course, you had Ali Pasha, who was the, hmm. uh, the commander for the fleet, the um, Ottoman Turk fleet, which was about 80 ships stronger, and uh, the Ottoman Turks at this time up until this time, they had been somewhat invincible. So the West didn't have much hope, or so it appeared. So the Pius V also, in preparations for the battle, he insisted upon all Catholics in Europe to be praying the rosary. And oddly, every single uh, one, every single member of the forces, the Christian forces uh, sailing into battle, uh, were praying the rosary at the time they did so. And at the initiation of the battle, it looked again as if it was going to be going against uh, Don Juan. But the winds changed at a certain point, which uh, provided uh, an advantage to the Catholic uh, or the Holy League, as they called themselves. And with that switching of winds, uh, the battle began to, uh, to change in the favor of the Holy League. Now, I mentioned the monkey, the important <laughs> monkey of Don Juan of Austria. That was Coco. Well, I do not know his name, <laughs> no, but uh, the Ottoman Turks they had thrown what I guess we would call today a grenade onto the ship of Don Juan. And this monkey that was next to Don Juan, his pet monkey, took the grenade and threw it back at the Ottoman Turks. And so I think, um, Bishop, I think it might be a good idea if you're looking at for getting a pet. Forget the dogs, forget the cats, but a nice monkey would be a good well, thing. Well, it, it's interesting you bring up uh, on a very serious topic, but Father Connell, when he was recuperating from surgery, had a service Capuchin monkey called Oliver. <laughs> and uh, he then thought that Oliver was out to get him, and then we replaced him uh, with uh, Sasha, who is a, a Lasu Apsu. But that's for another episode. Um, but back to the, the feast, when the victory was called Our Lady Victory, and of course I like a parish on Bush Street in San Francisco, the French parish run by the Maris, Notre Dame de Troyes. Um, but uh, then it was changed to Our Lady of the Rosary. So it was a success... And we would call this intercessory prayer, which has a rich tradition in our faith. Um, and we're going to get a little bit back to, to this great uh, Our Lady of the Rosary Feast. But uh, Father Chris, speak about, you know, as a pastor of a parish in your years of ordination, the role of intercessory prayer in all of our lives, but in, in the lives of, of your parish. And I think intercessory prayer comes very naturally to, to us Catholics that were raised with it and believe in the power of it in praying for one another in calling upon uh, Mary and the other saints to pray with and for us before God and believe that God hears those prayers and and think about it, our own parish and then I think many if not most parishes have set up a prayer chain where if somebody in the parish is in need of special prayer the word gets out and people are praying for them sometimes we kind of blur the lines of uh, HIPAA in terms of what's revealed about some people but at any rate we do uh, join together and bombard heaven with, with prayer, believing that, that God hears those prayers. And there's a great gospel precedent for that, Jesus himself saying, ask and you will receive. And that carries with it a little danger in terms of what people's conception of God is, I think. If people think of God as a great vending machine, as long as I put in the right prayer and pull the knob, I'm going to get what I ask for. But I always think, well, Jesus said, ask and you will receive. It didn't say, ask and you will receive what you ask for. 
we will receive what is best for us, that God hears our prayers and responds with, with what we need in our journey of salvation. And, and uh... The um, role of intercessory prayer, I know when it comes to um, uh, those words that you ask and you shall receive, I remember being on the retreat, and the retreat director said, when you ask, it's pretty clear you know what you're wanting, uh, what you, you're hoping the Lord will give you. Um, seek is a little uncertain. Your perhaps options are out there, but there's not that certainty in the first. But knock, that image of knocking you shall uh, be admitted. Knocking is a pleading uh, with the Lord. That's something very dramatic. And I see intercessory prayer is in that category because someone who seeks through prayer uh, to bring those needs of others does so many times with great uh, passion and commitment. I think of people in I was uh, somewhere, I was masked with the poor Clares uh, the other day, and uh, the list of people that the poor Clares pray for reminded me of the time when I would go on retreat with the Capuchins. And, um, the, the monkeys? Uh, no, not the monkeys. Oh, this, oh, was the, this was the, the great Franciscan oh. religious order. Um, the Marines of the church, that's what the Capuchins are. Father Mee's thinking the Benedictines, but uh, <laughs> that's for another, uh, again, another episode. But the, um, the list of people that are prayed for. Again, this brother Joseph, it was see there were thus been 60 names he would off the top of said the people who would call in looking for prayer, the same with, with the poor Clares. Um, intercessory prayer, again, it, it rooted in uh, some of the great saints. Um, how about Monica and Augustine? How would you see Father Me as that an example of intercessory prayer? Oh, Absolutely. I mean, in, in the Confessions of St. Augustine's, he speaks, or St. Augustine, he speaks about that, uh, the role of Monica. And it's interesting, you know, Monica, he, he actually leaves Hippo and goes to Rome, goes to Italy to escape his mother. Hmm. <laughs> Sometimes kids go away to college <laughs> she, to do that. She was praying a little too much for him, and he wasn't ready for all this prayer. But mm -hmm. anyway, she being who she was, St. Monica, she was tenacious, and she followed after him and follows him all the way up to Milan, of course, where he is ultimately baptized on East, at the Easter Vigil in 387 by the great St. Ambrose. But he credits his mother's prayers, uh, that faithful mother praying uh, for him constantly. And then you have that beautiful scene when he's going back to Africa, and his mother is with him this time. They're traveling together, and she... Uh, uh, she falls ill at Ostia, and at Ostia she realizes she's dying, and uh, what does she say to her son? Don't worry, uh, Augustine was worried about getting her back to Hippo and having a little nice little uh, plot for her to be buried, and she says, oh, it doesn't matter where I'm buried, but memento me ad altari dei, remember me at the altar of God. Pray for me. Just as she interceded for her son, she was asking for his intercessory prayers uh, for her salvation. Hmm. Hmm. Now, what about uh, Father Curse wasn't there actually when the raising of Lazarus, but I mean, I know it's one of your favorite uh, passages from Scripture. When uh, Lazarus has died and Martha and Mary come to Jesus, and there will be a stench. Yes, that's all I remember. <laughs> yes. Well, here's the case. You know, Beautiful. Jesus Beautiful. hearing their 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 prayers and uh, responding accordingly. Now, not all of our prayers are answered to the way uh, to the extent that we think. But would uh, from your experience in parishes right now as pastor, 
Do our people outside, do our children in our schools and our religious education programs see and appreciate the importance of intercessory prayer? I think absolutely. I know that it's a, a part of the rhythm of, of prayer life every day in the school where children are asked to bring their intentions to prayer as they start the day and stop again throughout the day to offer prayer. And there's their... Uh, interceding for those in need, be it their grandma or, or they hear about an earthquake in Indonesia or something or a tsunami and, and they bring these things before the Lord to and perhaps uh, invoke the intercession of saints upon that. And our particular saint is St. Thomas More that, that uh, we call upon often in our parish uh, school life as well as in religious education life as we uh, gather on Sundays and, and form the children in prayer, and of course, very hard of that is our prayer of praise and thanksgiving to God, but also intercessory prayer that we know that's an expression of our belief in the power of prayer. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, we'll continue our discussion, which began with the Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, and uh, again, the place, the important place that intercessory prayer has in all of our lives as Catholic Christians. back to the Bishop and the Vicars. Today we're talking about, in light of our Feast of Our Lady of the Rosary, the history of the Battle of, of Lepanto. And Father Me, Father Kirst, and Hilary Hammer, we're all talking about this together, this concept that uh, we pray for the intercession of our Blessed Mother, we pray for God to guide us in, in battle, which seems to go against any concept of Christ as the Prince of Peace. Again, I think we, this discussion needs a little bit more nuance and, and Father, maybe you want to place this into the context. What was going on at this time? I know you made reference earlier on, but how extensive was the threat for the very soul of, of Europe as, as followers of, of Jesus Christ? Well, I think it's easy for us to forget the, the larger history. And, and, um, I haven't forgotten it because I never knew it, so go ahead, keep talking. <laughs> but, uh, you know, from the beginning of Islam, so in the 600s with Muhammad, uh, very quickly, they became aggressive because, of course, their purpose was uh, to bring... Islam itself means submission, so to bring under submission the world for Allah, to Allah. So already by the 8th century, they had taken Syria, they had taken Egypt, they had gone into North Africa, and up into the Iberian Peninsula, what we know as um, Portugal and Spain today. And so I believe it was... They had gotten all the way to central France, which most of us don't even think about that, uh, and the great battle of Tours or Poitiers, because the battle took place between the two towns in 732, and Charles Martel, which is a name probably we've heard at some point, Father Kirst. I have heard of that, yes. <laughs> Charles Martel was the commander, and, and he drove the uh, Muslims back, these were the Arab Muslims, back into the Iberian Peninsula, but they also were crawling up from the other side. So looking at the world from the Islamic point of view, they only had to uh, complete this quest of submitting the world to Allah by taking over this northern uh, crest, you know, of, of what that we would know as Western Europe. And so this was, um, so Again, this was back in the 800s, and, and uh, without being pedantic, you could go through and there were major battles that would be a significant 
to those days as we think of the major battles of, uh, be it Dunkirk or Waterloo or Gettysburg, they were battles as significant as that for the people of those times. Um, and again, by the time it had gotten to the Battle of Lepanto, and it's interesting, the Battle of Lepanto, well, we think, well, what was that? But it was considered to be the greatest sea battle since the Battle of Axium in 31 BC between Mark Antonio and Cleopatra, their forces against Octavian, who would become Caesar Augustus. So, I mean, you're talking about a rather huge battle and recognizing the fact that um, who they were fighting now were the Ottoman Turk Muslims, who actually way back we would have known as the Mongols, who had already been, you know, attacking Eastern Europe for centuries upon centuries. So, I mean, it's in this siege mentality and recognizing the, the, um, you know, the atrocities that had been done just a year before the Battle of Lepanto was the Battle of Fama Augusta, where Marco Antonio Bragadino was a commander, and finally after 10 months of a siege, he surrendered uh, and thought he had made peace terms, but the Ottoman Turks had slaughtered uh, the men, the women, the children, and to Bragadino, well, they, they tortured him, finally delaying him alive and then stuffing his skin and sending it back to Constantinople. This is a family show, so that's, Bishop, I think I'll turn it back to you now. That's gross. Well, I'm just thinking of that Father Chris' favorite movie, Cartoon, with <laughs> Charlton Heston. Well, I thought you said cartoon. No, cartoon. Oh, I don't know that movie. Uh, well, that was a case, kind of bringing it into the 1800s, where... Uh, in Cairo, the Egyptians had hired the British to help them, and the Mahdi rose up and slaughtered um, Colonel General Hickson, these hired soldiers. And then we have what was called back in England, this is not just a war, this is a holy war. And the concept of holy war is, is often very foreign to us because we, again, try to follow peace. But when you're dealing with uh, the situation, as you explain, that led up to this, and whether it's at the time of the Battle of Ponto or it is in, in the Sudan, uh, that, um, you know, what are we going to, uh, how are we going to do this? Is it just not, um, prayer is more than just good vibes and I feel good. I mean, prayer is actually asking God to, to guide us, to protect us. And so we pray for those men and women who are away. I know in parishes, uh, I'm very impressed when I visit a parish, there will be pictures of those men and women in the armed forces, and we're asking for guidance uh, and God's protection to keep them safe. And any time um, that someone is loses their life, we know what that does to a family and to a community. So it is not a foreign concept and it is not an outdated concept to, to pray for God's intercession in the midst of something like this, but it does help us at a time uh, in our history when we, we see many Christians, many Catholic Christians for that matter, who don't take seriously that their faith should be lived each day. Um, a belief in parts of Europe where there are more who attend mosques on Friday than there are those who gather at worship at Mass on, on Sundays. And um, so a little bit of history is very helpful. But, but today, right now, as we um, try to lead our people and guide our people, I know October is traditionally one of the Marian months when we have the rosary. As you know, in our diocese, we had in the summer of July of 17, we had our rosary crusade uh, at uh, Avista Stadium that was 
I know somewhere over 3,000 people came on a, on a warm July night to ask for Mary's intercession and prayer. But we will continue, I think, as a diocese to see the need for us to gather in prayer, whether it is uh, the safety as they did in Lepanta, or to watch over people who have been the victims of some type of natural disaster. Do you find that, uh, I remember teaching class, a young man said, why do we even bother interceding in prayer? God already knows what we, what we need or what we want. And to me, there's so many examples in the Gospels where the people who might need help don't have the words to express it, or maybe their faith is not as strong. And I think of the, uh, the man being lowered through the roof by his friends seeking to be healed. The great saints, there's many of the saints who spent their life. I know Teresa, uh, the little flower, she wanted to be a missionary, and uh, it wasn't that Carmel community that their purpose was to pray for the ministry of priests, which initially when she said she entered the community, uh, or she thought that uh, priests didn't need prayer, and then she, I think she, doesn't she go on a visit somewhere, and then she comes back and says, well, no, I've met priests, they're not as pure as crystal, um, I think they have just as much human weakness, and she understood her vocation to pray for priests while she was visiting Italy. Thank God for that. But, and I think, you know, fundamentally in our purest form, prayer is not about changing God's mind, mm -hmm. but about changing our hearts and submitting ourselves to God's will and believing that God is interested in our lives and, and does listen to our prayers and respond to those prayers and, and, in our this sense of, of joining together to, to pray with and for one another and pray the intercession of the saints, uh, I can't help but believe that that uh, that somehow that does move God and perhaps sometimes uh, God does respond directly to what we pray for. Not that God didn't know that before, but recognize that we come together and and express our dependence upon Him and our trust in His desire for the well-being of all people that uh, that does have some impact. It's not just to make ourselves feel good that we're offering intercessory prayer, but... It would be um, really a very fatalistic stance, posture to take if we believe, well, our prayers have no purpose or have no meaning. Um, but we understand that God does listen. He's our loving Father. And Bishop, you mentioned in the scriptures, well, how many times is it that someone comes to Christ uh, praying for a favor? and uh, he sends boy healed, saying your faith has, has healed you. So it is that faith in prayer. Uh, our God is not a non-communicative God, but one who wants to be in a conversation with us, and that's what our prayer is. And um, you know, so we, we ask uh, others to intercede for us as well. I suppose it's not, we don't think much of, well, if you ask your friend or mother or spouse to pray for you, well, we don't have a, we think, well, that's okay. We expect them to pray for us. Well, they're in, interceding for us. Well, all the more, or as much at least, well, why wouldn't we, this communion of saints, which we understand as being with us and part of um, the church as well, why would we not ask them these uh, to pray for us as well? Do you, uh, did you pray for Notre Dame to uh, win on Saturday? Was it Stanford? They did they, beat they Stanford. Did. Yeah. But I didn't think they needed prayers to be Stanford. <laughs> hmm, interesting. <Whoa. laughs> Very interesting. You were denied admission there. Uh, was that true? At Stanford or Notre Stanford. Dame? Uh, both. Certainly, both. <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's okay. The world needs ditch but, diggers, too. I think that was from Caddyshack. You know, even 
Bishop, you know, I, we mentioned before about, well, all of these various peoples or um, groups, and uh, Pius V didn't have much support for um, creating this alliance of the Holy League, and he certainly didn't have the support of Queen Elizabeth in England. Um, she was busy with her own... Um, queen stuff. Queen stuff, <laughs> yes, well put. So she wouldn't send anyone certainly to uh, assist the Pope. As a matter of fact, some of the Protestants, of course, thought it was a good thing that the Catholics would be beat up by the Turks. But nonetheless, most of Europe came to the realization of how uh, critical of a moment this was because when she heard Queen Elizabeth of Don Juan of Austria's victory at Lepanto, she had all the churches offer up prayers of thanksgiving. So I mean, it, it was a moment be one Catholic, be one Christian, be one atheist, living in Europe, recognizing what a, a critical moment this was. And Pius V, it was interesting, he was speaking with his um, treasurer, or his vicar for finances, one could say, mm -hmm. and the vicar <laughs> for finances Benici. is speaking about business, and all of a sudden Pius V says, this is no time for business. A great victory has been won this day. And still that's a mystery of how he could possibly know because he said that just as the battle was being completed on October 7th. And obviously there was no uh, immediate communications in those days, but uh, he had a vision or at least an internal sense, knowledge of the victory had been won through the prayers of the people, through the prayers offered up to Our Lady. Well, maybe if we have a new high school, we could either call it Our Lady of Lepanta or Notre Dame de Trois or Pius V High. Uh, but that's something later on. Just as we get ready to wrap this show up, um, we in the West, uh, there's a pluralism that we have that in many ways is, is a blessing. But there's a weakness uh, there, and it's the divided spirit we have as, as Christians. You mentioned about how a little bit of the England would not help, and Elizabeth... And there were those actually thought this was, was a good thing that the Catholics would be under attack. But really, what there is a Christianity, it's at our roots, and we need not to take that for granted, but rather call through Mary's intercession to, to grow ever closer to her son, Jesus. God bless, and we hope that you will continue to listen to us on our next episode.